0: All right, we're going to get started in just a moment here. So if you want to make your way back to your seats, um, as the kids have made the way to their classes, um, I'm going to ask Joshua Allen to come on up here with me. So uh, today, Joshua Allen, member of our church, is uh, preaching today for us. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So um, if you don't know Joshua, he and his uh, family have been members of Maranatha for about three years, stretching back to Pickerington uh, days. And uh, they live in Groveport. They're hosting next week, uh, hosting an Easter potluck after our worship. So after uh, next Sunday, we come, we celebrate uh, the risen Christ together, and we're all going to head to Joshua and Carla's house, um, bring a dish to share, um, bring a chair to sit on, and we're going to have lots of fun eating together and celebrating that as a family, um, as a church plant, really. And so Um, that's another piece of trivia. If you didn't know, uh, we are about five months old as a church plant here in Canal Winchester. Um, Before that, we didn't exist, and so we're grateful that you're here with us. We're grateful that you get to see what it looks like when God is in the middle of planting a church, right? All the joy and the messiness and the fun and everything that that goes along with that, um, as we're trying to just be a gospel light for Canal Winchester, for this whole uh, southeast area that is so um, in need of the gospel to be more fully proclaimed here and so that's why we're here as maranatha that's why joshua is here today Um, we're going to pray for him and then he's going to bring the word for us father god we are thankful for the goodness that you show us constantly and especially in jesus christ lord as we come in uh, this week i'm sure many of us um, all of us come in either with um, trials that we've walked through in our personal lives Um, we have seen brokenness and sin either personally but at the very least um, on the level of our country and our culture. And God, so we recognize today that all of, the, um, all of this thing that we see, the weight that we might walk in here with, comes from that problem of sin. And we're grateful today to rally around the Savior who has beaten sin, who has conquered sin. And so we pray that today as we look into uh, that Savior's word, what he has revealed to us, uh, we pray that we would be shaped by it, changed by it, um, that we will be given more joy, more holiness, more obedience to it, um, all because of the great grace of Jesus Christ. It's his name that we pray in, it's his name that we celebrate as a church, as one body. Yeah. Amen. 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 Thanks, Josh.
1: Okay, I'm on making sure. Well, it's always a pleasure just to come and uh, be with the church. To be able to bring the word is always something that I come to very trepidly, but it is a a joy to be able to bring the word. Uh, I know last time that I I preached, we were looking at right around 43 minutes. Um, Put a lot of work, a lot of effort into this one. We're down to 42, so... (laughs) We're, we're doing good. Um, I would just ask everybody, if you have a Bible, to turn to um, Matthew 21, 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, and you got uh, plenty of Bibles in the pews, you can go to page number 981, and that'll take you there. But this is where our message is going to be today. We're going to look at the triumphal Entry of Christ into Jerusalem, so Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphagia, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her the full of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and He sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Uh, as we come to Palm Sunday, we, we know this as Passion Week, if, if you know um, we come to this and we celebrate every year. This is the week that kind of began the final days of Christ as he would enter the city praised as the son of David and ending with his death as a criminal on a cross between two other criminals. This would be the week that leader, the leaders of Jerusalem would finally get what they want. Jesus being put to death and out of the picture. His reign as the son of David was short-lived in the eyes of the people and would prove to them that he was not the king they were looking for. It would be a week that the disciples would look back on and understand fully when the coming of the Spirit came. It would also be a week that they would rejoice in later on in life. I would like to look at a couple of things today uh, in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, Number one, we're going to kind of look at the lay of the land, what's happening before Christ enters into Jerusalem. Um, Then we're going to look at the divine plan. Uh, Thirdly, we're going to look at a colt, cloaks, and palm branches. And then fourthly, the prophesied king, or is he? So let's start with the lay of the land. Some of the events that have been recorded in the Gospels uh, about Christ's triumphal entry, these are some of the events that happened before that. We know that in Luke 9:51, 51, uh, Christ's end goal was that he would set his face towards Jerusalem. Uh, we know that Lazarus had died, that Christ, in his timing, went and raised him from the dead. The many Jews believed in him, some went and told the Pharisees the Pharisees and the chief priests had made plans to put Christ to death. They knew that everyone would believe in him, as John 11 states, and that the Romans would end up taking away their place as well as their nation. We also know that from that time on that Jesus did not walk openly among the Jews, but went to Ephraim and stayed with his disciples. And if you're looking at a map, Ephraim is about... Uh, it's a little northwest of Jericho and Christ had to go through Jericho. We know that he goes through Jericho on the way he he, uh, heals two blind men. He meets up with Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the tax collector. Um, And then he makes his way from Jericho towards Jerusalem. And, And Jericho is about a 16 to 17 mile walk. You know, in a 3,000-foot altitude. So that's something to do. It's not easy. Uh, You're going to be in the heat. You're going to be going uphill. I know when I was a young kid and I thought I could conquer the world, uh, mom and dad took us boys. I've got three brothers and two sisters, and they took us to the Grand Canyon. And, man, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the Grand Canyon. It is. It's breathtaking. But I was bound determined, I'm hiking this thing. You know, me and my brothers, we all thought we we're going to hike this thing. Well, we hiked down the Grand Canyon. My mom conveniently said she was going to stay at the camper or at the, the tent. And dad said, all right, boys, let's go. So me and my brothers, we went. We got down without no problem. But coming up, oh, my. <laughs> I just remember us boys, all of us, grumbling on the way up and constantly being like, this was a stupid idea. Why did you choose to do this? Why are we doing this? My dad was just like, boys, come on. Let's keep on going. So you're thinking about this. This is, this is not something easy. Like we jump in a car. We're at a place in 5, 10 minutes. This, this is a day's journey for them. 3,000 3, foot of altitude. So just kind of putting some things into perspective. He would go to Bethany. He would meet up with Lazarus. And dine with Martha and Mary. Um, and Bethany is right around about a one and a half miles away from Jerusalem. And then you've got Bethphage, which is about one mile from Jerusalem. Um, a large crowd came to see Jesus and Lazarus because now they're wanting to see Lazarus as well because he's been raised from the dead. I reckon I'd want to go see him too. Um, This would have been a multitude of people because it's Passover week. You have people coming from everywhere to Jerusalem. Uh, Estimates of hundreds of thousands of people. Some actually say there could be a half million there. So it's, it's it's a good size of multitude of people. But this sets the stage because John says that the next day after Christ ate with Lazarus and the crew, that he entered Jerusalem. So that's what we're going to look at now is the divine plan. And let's take a look at the first four verses again. I'm going to read them again. Matthew 21, 1 through 4 says this. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. So, get the picture. We've got Christ, the disciples, the crowd coming in. And he tells two of the disciples, Go to Bethphagia. And when you get in there, there's going to be a donkey and a colt. It's going to untie it bring it to me. If anybody comes in and they want it, let them know it's the Lord's. So we've got to think about this too. This is, this is where this passage is interesting. They don't have cell phones back in the day. They don't have text messages. There is no email. There's no way of kind of letting them know like, hey, guys, get the colt and the donkey ready. I'm going to be there in about 10, 15 days. When I get there, I'm going to send two guys. They're going to get it. They're going to bring it to me. And, and you'll kind of understand this more as I go, but they don't have that option. I remember back in the day when I was a young kid, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have voicemail. We had the old rotary t- phone. And anybody that's used the old rotary phone, dialing 911 is not fast. You, you take it and you and then it's back up. And it's just a slow process as you do the old rotary phone. They don't have that. They didn't have anything near like that. But he tells the two disciples, go into the village. Immediately you'll find a donkey tied up with a colt. Go get it. And then he tells them, if there's someone that has an issue with this, tell them the Lord needs them, not the Lord my Lord, or your Lord, the Lord over all. And this is what I really want us to kind of key on. uh, What is the significance of this? Why does it matter that the donkey and the colt would be there and to tell them the Lord needs them if asked? Is this because Christ knows the owner or is this because it's divine intervention? Did he send a messenger ahead to set this all up? No, this is done purposefully and with authority. He is exercising his right in getting whatever it is he needs so that he can do what he has come to do. Verse 2 tells us about the donkey and the colt. It's coming. Verse 3, he clears it up with the Lord. And, and that helps us to kind of see this. A couple of verses that point to this divine authority here is Matthew 11:27, 27, which says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Matthew 28:18 says this as well. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Paul talks about that in Colossians 1. As we start getting a better picture, is it possible that he knew who the owner of the donkey was? Yeah. Um, But... It does not matter because Christ is showing his authority in not only getting the donkey and the colt, but also the owner's willingness to comply immediately. The very timing of this whole event is not something to take for granted. This timing is perfect as the Passover is coming and people, everyone is getting, gathering, finding an unblemished lamb, a sheep, yet... The true sacrificial lamb has arrived. Remember the chief priests, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. They'd been after Christ. They were trying to figure out ways to get him. They wanted him out of the picture. They had tried to grab him many times. But you remember the phrase often spoken. His time had not yet come. They just could not seem to get to him. Because his time had not come. He would... Slip through the crowd. They would go to seize him, and they couldn't lay a hand on him. And this is just some of those references to see that I will. I'll say these: Matthew 12:14, Luke 4:30, John 7:30, and John 8:59. They weren't able to get him because his time had not yet come. They could not change the Lord's divine plan no matter what scheme they tried to do. It would happen on his timing and his timing alone. He was going to put everything into play according to his divine plan. The time had come and he would trigger everything by what he was about to do. Now the time of Christ's Passion Week has come. The king was coming, humble, meek, mounted on a donkey, a colt a foal of a donkey this is not theater or movie this is not a planning like this this is divinely plan uh, this is a divine plan by the lord being carried out that had been begun and started before the foundations of the world this is the fulfillment of the promise plan of god in genesis 3 this would lead to the crushing of the head and the bruising of the heel this was the week that everything would change. The coming to Jerusalem, sending the two disciples to get a donkey, set in motion the fulfillment of what the prophet Zechariah spoke of in Zechariah nine. And listen to this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Understand this. The people of Israel, they wouldn't miss this. This is not something new to them. This is Old Testament language that they knew, and they knew it well. That we'll kind of see a little more shortly. But what I'd like to move to is the, the colt, the cloaks, and palm branches. Why would the king of Israel, the seed of David, the very seed of God promised in Genesis in the garden who all the Old Testament pointed to? We know this. Why would he come on a coal? Now, think about this. In today's age, if you don't have some bling bling and you come, it doesn't really do anything for people. Everybody wants to have a big show. But you know, this is, it kind of, I, I think of um, the, the Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King, and I was a big fan of these movies, and one of the things that I loved in the final movie is the horses, and you've got uh, Gondor. They're just being crushed by um, Saruman, or whatever his name is. There's so many names, I can't remember them all, but they're just being hammered by this. And, all the, 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 the stones are breaking. They're, they're breaking into the city. They're just falling apart, and they, they're, they're scared. They're fearing for their lives. And then suddenly you hear the horns of Rohan blow, and it's like everything stops. And the, the scene moves to the horses and, and the men on the horses, and they're just lined up, horses galore, war horses, spears, um, shields swords and the people of gondor you know they kind of get like this relief excitement we have someone's here to save us that's what i think of when i think a king's going to come in and introduce himself i want somebody coming with authority and power you know and and listen to this this is what the the lord says about horses why didn't he come on a horse because the horses man they're just bigger stronger listen to what the lord says about the horses in Job. Do you give horse the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the lo- locust? His majestic snorting is terrible. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed, and he does not turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the flashing spear and javelin. With shaking and rage, he races over the ground, and he does not stand still at the voice of the trumpet. As often as the trumpet sounds, he says, aha, and he scents the battle from afar, and the thunder of the captains, and the war cry. Horses were made for war. So think back to this picture of the return of the king, and Gondor is in trouble, the trumpet sounds, the men of Rohan come up over the hill, and the people of Gondor look out, and there is the the war the people of Rohan, the the army, the spears, the swords, the shields, and they're on donkeys coming to save them. It changes everything. Thinking, <laughs> man, they ain't even gonna get here today. You know? So but that's that's something we have to understand. The horses and the donkeys were were different. Why would he come on a colt? The Lord knew the scripture, and he was going to fulfill the prophecy as he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. And riding on a donkey was symbolic of that. The king would come, but he would be a humble king. The king would come, but he'd be mounted on a donkey colt, pack animal. This was not because he was poor or common. This king was not coming with army ablazing and foot soldiers ready to go. He did not come on the horse ready for war. No, this king came to bring peace, and he would do so as, he, as was done in the Old Testament. The donkey was for peace and the horse for war i'll cite a couple of verses just you can go there and check them out later but judges 10:4 and judges 12:14 go look at those those are two of the judges that the lord had back in the day and their sons would have cities and they would have donkeys that they rode on in first 1 kings 133 david finally is going to have them anoint Solomon as king. Now, this would be a coronation. And so he got Zadok the priest and Nathan and Benaiah, and they took Solomon on David's mule and took him down, and when they got to where they needed to go, they blew the trumpets and announced him, Hail, King Solomon, on a mule. The Lord was making his kingship known in the colt. It wasn't an accident. The king came to bring peace. The disciples, they get the donkey as well as the the colt, and they lay garments on both of them. Not sure which one the Lord's going to ride, but we know that he chose the colt, and he makes that decision for them. And while they're doing this, the crowd is taking off their cloaks, most of them, not all of them, The crowd is taking their cloaks and throwing them on the ground, and others are throwing palm branches on the ground as well. Why are they laying palm branches and cloaks on the ground? In 2 Kings 9.13, when Jehu was proclaimed king, every man took his garment and put it on the bare stairs for him. The branches are cut from palm trees. Matthew doesn't tell you that. John does. And the palm branches were used when rejoicing before God or for a victory. And you can look at Leviticus 23, 33 through 44 and the Feast of Booths. I'd encourage you to take a look at that. The Lord has established his kingship, which is one not of war but of peace. He's going to make peace with God on our behalf. He is the kingly Messiah of the Old Testament, come. And most of the people acknowledge this by the garments laying in the road as well as the palm branches. Then we get to the final part. The prophesied king. Where is he? Let's go back and read Matthew 21, 9 through 11 and just listen to this. Israel knew well the prophets and the prophecies of the coming king who would save them. A crowd's in front of him, crowds in back of him. John 12 states that a crowd from in the city came out as well to meet him. So you have just a huge commotion. They're screaming and yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna the Sunday, which means save now. Save pray, save us now. What does that mean? What was the people of Israel looking for? We'll get to that in a second. But, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is a quote from Psalms 118.26. And that is part of the Hallel Psalms. And it's very interesting. We had Psalm 113 up there this morning, which is a part of that. It's six Psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalms 118. And they mean praise, and they're recited at Jewish festivals, including that of the Passover. So they're, they're, they're quoting Old Testament. They're, they're screaming and yelling and, and crying out. This multitude of people, and they're all together truly giving honor to Christ as the kingly Messiah. Come. The whole city was stirred. It says that it was shaken by this display and everybody's caught up in this excitement because the king had come. Finally, Israel will be free of Rome. Rome is going to be taken care of by the king of Israel and will stand supreme again as the nation of Israel, God's nation. They will have their glory again as that nation. The excitement must have been just crazy there. And the king has come. But when they enter the city, do they still hold to this? When the city was stirred and it was shaken, they ask, who is this? The answer the crowd gave confuses me, and yet it's humbling because I would have been right there with them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest, and then slowly saying, crucify him, crucify him. The people wanted a king, but they would, wanted the king that would come and conquer and rule the nations. That'll be later. This king was supposed to save his people, not from Rome, but from their unrighteousness from their sin. This is the king that had come. The lowly, humble servant king. He came to bring peace. He had told his disciples multiple times about this and how it would happen. They missed it. The people missed it. Matthew 16, 21 through 23, three times. In the back half of Matthew, Christ tells them about his death and his re- resurrection that would come. Matthew 17, 22 through 23. And Matthew 20, 17 through 19. But they missed it, just like we would have. When Christ was glorified and the Spirit came, then the disciples would look back and understand totally what Christ had taught them and that the prophecy was fulfilled to perfection. Nothing was out of place. It was his perfect timing, on his timing, everything was God's divine plan taking place exactly how he wanted it to. He would take the very sins that we deserved and suffer for them so that we would have peace. The humble king who is lowly came in peace, to make peace for us with a holy God. That Christ would lower himself to become obedient unto death, even a death on a cross, a criminal's death. He could have called down legions. Easy. But what did he do? No, he announced himself as king, and then he placed himself on a colt and went to the cross. For us, the whole event here is beaming the humility of Christ, and we can't miss that in this. What a humble Savior we serve. I want you to hear the call to humility, as believers. This is our calling. Paul in Philippians two one through eleven says this. only to his own interests but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus' every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, do you seek that humility, the humility of our Savior? I pray it so. Let's pray Heavenly Father, um, we are so thankful for um, your sovereign plan, your perfect timing um, for sending your Son to save us sinners, those of us who had our fists in the air and did not want anything to do with you, and yet you chose us and, and came to be a humble Savior who would take everything from man, And yet, he was triumphant. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to come and study it and know it and to dig deeper. Lord, I pray that as we go throughout this week, that we would dwell on the truths of Scripture. Lord, every day is Resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen. And we are thankful for that. And because of that, we can have eternal life. And we do so. And we thank you for that. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory because you alone are worthy for it. I am so thankful for you in saving me. And I I pray that as we go out this week that we would keep on the forefronts of our mind, be humble because our heavenly king, the king of peace, came and died for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.